a calm, beautiful podcast. We speak about the light, hold back truths to spare your feelings. We never rock the boat. No unfiltered opinions here. Ah, uh, no. You're listening to Unfiltered. Unfiltered. If it's politics, tech, entertainment, global headlines, and everything in between, we shoot you straight through the eyes with the truth. Streaming to six continents from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and West Hollywood, California. Sponsored by the Stutzman Group. We're real. We're raw. We are unfiltered. This is Bobby and Luke. Welcome to Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. It is Tuesday, January 19th. And Luke, we are now less than 24 hours away from President-elect Biden's inauguration. Yep. I, I had to post a little music from the the beloved musical Annie because the sun will come out tomorrow it's only a day away and I am just just beside myself that we have we we, we've reached the finish line and now what the next 24 hours will bring Mm. could be very interesting Absolutely. You know, from, from all reports, right, from the media and, and, and everybody, Washington locked down, nobody's getting in and out. You know, we've got, you know, news outlets reporting that there's people of the from the riots that are coming back. They're going to be acting as those National Guardsmen. And I guess based on the general's response yesterday, They've got a a practice in place, and they're vetting all 25,000 National Guard men and women. And there's, you know, according to the general verbatim, quote, no way in hell anybody is getting through. Yeah, that that is the that that is the message that's being given that, you know, Washington, D.C. is going to be the safest city in the world. And there is no correct, no way in hell that any damage will come or any uh, injury will come to any of uh, our elected officials, including our new president and vice president. So it's just, um, you know, it's kind of a a breathtaking sight, though, to, to look at the images around D.C. And I've mentioned on here before I spent some time in D.C. when I was in my 20s and um it, the 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 great thing about DC is that it's such an open city. You know, the Capitol, the National Mall, all of these monuments, Lincoln Memorial, Washington Memorial, uh, you know, the Vietnam Wall. All of all of these things are just open. You can just co- come and go and walk up to them and whatnot. Right. You know, typically the Capitol grounds. If you get too close to somewhere you're not supposed to be, a security guard just politely says, I'm sorry, this is a restricted area and you just go the other direction or whatnot. You know, it is, it is the symbol of our free society. And so now to see it all, you know, walled up with, and, and, 
you know, unclimbable walls topped with barbed wire, uh, you know, it almost brings a tear to your eye because we've gone from the shining city on the hill, this beacon of freedom and democracy to looking essentially like Baghdad did at the height of the Iraqi war. And, right. it, and it's, and it's just devastating to know that this is almost wholly and completely the responsibility of the sitting American president. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shocking. 244 years, 244 years of a peaceful transition of power gone. Just like that. Yep. Just because of the ego of one fucking guy. Uh, well, just... and, you know, the first lady and, you know, the president, uh, I guess today is their last day. Um, they're not going to be on the premise when Biden and and Jill show up. So, yeah. you know, just, you know, going back and seeing how the Obamas, you know, welcomed the Trumps. And, you know, we're not going to see, you know, any of that transition actually taking place. The inauguration itself is going to be for the most part, you know, for everybody that's not in attendance, which is very few now will be completely virtual. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. Can I just say one quick thing about the first lady? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have tried to stay mostly silent about right. my right. just just my feelings about her because I honestly think she never she didn't sign up for this. I don't think right. she ever had any desire to do this. Uh, and she has gritted her teeth and and done it. And hell, you know what? Decorating for Christmas is a pain in the ass. You know, I get it. You know, I can mm -hmm. forgive certain things. But in her farewell remarks, she made some kind of snide comment about, you know, not ever being really welcomed in Washington, D.C., Mm -hmm. And then I think of the pictures of Michelle Obama with her with her hand on on Melania's back, ushering her in to the White House. And I'm just and I think of how gracious the Obamas were after years of just being mercilessly trolled by Donald Trump. You know, right. I, I just from the from the televised meeting in the Oval Office between Donald and Barack Obama and you know the not televised, but it, it did happen. Meeting in the East Wing between uh, Michelle Obama and Melania, and just the graciousness they showed, and also it cannot go without saying the graciousness that Hillary Clinton showed in sitting just feet behind the man as he was being sworn in as president of the United States when she knew full good and well she should have won that election right. you know you know, right. just i just i cannot believe it you cannot rewrite history you know right. facts are facts and i'm sorry melania you were welcomed you were given every opportunity to to participate in your role with with grace um and for the most part over the four years you've been missing in action and uh, I don't, I don't know that that be best campaign ever really no, uh, got no. off the ground. 
but that I'm sorry, I just had to say something about that because, you know, the Obamas were the definition of class and grace and uh, in hospitality and welcoming of, of, of a, a person that they clearly did not feel should be there, you know? Right. But and, the American and, people spoke and, and they was their that. brand, right? When you talk yeah. about branding, be best was their brand. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, at no time during those four years did their actions reflect the brand. Correct. Therefore, the brand meant nothing. It Correct. didn't mean shit to anybody. Yeah. It, you know, the actions of the sitting president these last four years were really contradicted what what she intended the brand to mean mm-hmm. and so it never got off the ground no 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 donald trump has never been best at anything and he leaves office um it just with nothing but american carnage on his hands and now we begin the now we begin the rebuild right right and we'll get into this more. I've actually got us uh, some uh, some intro music today from Wiz Khalifa. But additional Ice. topics on the other side. We're going to be talking, obviously, about the vaccine, the vaccine rollout. We're going to, you know, dig some more into the inauguration and um, other topics. And I love the way you sent this over to me. This is disgusting, <laughs> and we'll get into that. What the fuck? And don't fuck with their fellas and Damn right to those on the other side. Let's do it. So how right now? I don't think that I'll ever come down Cause this feels better to me Than anybody reality I'm floating in the air like I'm weightless Flying on a cocaine station I'm so high right now I don't think that I'll ever come down I don't know what I all I know that I'm so now, Luke, the next topic, vaccinations. We were kind of talking this yeah. before we started recording. And obviously, the Biden and his team have really spent a ton of time, energy, and effort when kind of considering the getting the infrastructure in place. But the infrastructure, as we now know, is not the only issue. We've got, you know, we've got production and inventory problems. Yeah. So now there appears to be uh, too much confusion around the amount of uh, vaccine that is available. You know, Joe Biden has made it very clear that he will, you know, within his first, you know, 24 hours, immediately order all available doses of the vaccine to be released uh, from the national stockpile and distributed out to the states. But then those, you know, sources familiar with the stockpile are saying, hold up, there may not be as much 
uh, inventory as previously expected, you know, meaning that, and I know we've, we've, we've discussed this before there, there are, you know, vaccines out there in the States basically sitting there on shelves and, you know, waiting to be distributed and waiting right. to get, get out into arms. And, you know, we were talking before we started recording here that here in California, you know, we now have these, these massive uh, inoculation sites, you know, from, from Disneyland uh, to SeaWorld down in San Diego, we've got Dodger Stadium, uh, you know, and, and so on and so forth up, up the central coast and into NoCal. The problem is, is that the distribution has been, well, slow is putting it nicely. Uh, an absolute embarrassment would be probably the more accurate term to right. the point now that Gov Governor Newsom is stating that he is seriously considering activating the California National Guard not to administer the shots, but just to get them where they need to go. And I, I don't know, does the National Guard even have refrigerated trucks? Like, I, I guess they come in these boxes that are that that can travel and whatnot. But uh, I'm like, what the hell? What what, right. what 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 the hell is going on? That why can we not? And and I yes, I, I talk about California because I live here, but I also talk about California because we have so much money. Like right. we are not one of those states that struggles to to uh, you know pay for things. We typically run a pretty significant surplus every year. So I don't know what the holdup is. What is going on? But Governor Newsom, for the love of God, for the love of God, let's figure it out. <laughs> right, right. You know, at the very beginning, before, you know, when, when Pfizer was first approved, you know, you know, you had the president saying, hey, Operation Warp Speed made this happen. Pfizer came out and said, you know what, that's not true because us and Moderna were not even part of Operation Warp Speed. <laughs> Correct. So then they concentrated on the logistics and distribution. And, mm -hmm. you know, initially the story was, hey, UPS and FedEx, we've got the routes figured out. We've got the destinations figured out. And at the end of the day, that was not the case. I think right. there were some states right. that did obviously a much better job than mm -hmm. other states. Mm -hmm. But like even yesterday, Washington State, because they're so fucked up in Washington, they contacted. Starbucks and the CEO oh, of Starbucks mm -hmm. is stepping up and they're going to become a distribution center yep. for creative the vaccine. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, in Washington, there's got to be hundreds of pharmacies and local, you know, businesses, but it doesn't sound like that is the case. And it's, and it's unfortunate. Yeah. And I also thought, you know, we, we, you know, they, they said they wanted to, and they, meaning, you know, the Alex Azar and, and whatnot from Health and Human Services said that they wanted this vaccine to be as normal as possible for right. you to be able to go to your local CVS or Walgreens or your doctor's office and get it just like you would get your flu shot. So it's not this weird situation of going to this mass inoculation center and you know where there's like big military tents set up and whatnot but 
here we are. <laughs> so, right. uh, and I don't know what's going on in, in New York. Have you, as per usual, the Blasio and Cuomo are battling it out via, you know, Twitter and the media, as opposed to just picking up a goddamn phone and working it out. Right. But uh, Cuomo has a, a iron grip on the distribution of the, of the vaccine in New York state and also has very strict rules in place. Uh, and so is kind of, so de Blasio is saying that those rules, those restrictions are hamstringing their efforts to get the vaccines out because he is saying that he does have the extra doses, but because of the rules, the restrictions set in place by the Cuomo administration that he's not able to get start getting these vaccinations out. Now, right. I, I know that there has been some movement on that. I do know that teachers in New York City are now being inoculated, being a former New York City educator. I have lots of friends and I am just overjoyed every time one of them pop up on my Facebook feed with holding their vaccine card that they got their first vaccination. So right. that's right. that that makes me very happy. But it's just an example of just like, come on, guys, get get on the quit making your comments to the media, get on the phone and let's figure this out. You know, we, we just passed 400,000 deaths. Yes. Think yes. about now that. on the flip I mean, side, right? So we're, we've just discussed, you know, inflammatory fuck ups with distribution of the vaccine that everybody needs to get mm -hmm. at the same time. So last week, the largest tech convention which is usually in person held every second week of january in las vegas also known as ces they did their part to try to make it work uh but a ton of of technology in the medical space was kind of the theme of this year obviously COVID had a lot to do with it but even when i attended in person in 2018 luke everybody was talking about the 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 medical tech that was coming you know because the last several years of ces has been dominated by smart devices smart mm -hmm. home um uh cloud apps and you know smart car technology and stuff but this year was heavily heavily medical and you want to tell tell our listeners what your favorite tech was announced during yeah the I, I, so I, I, you know, I, I, I certainly don't have uh, near the the uh, tech deep technology that uh, my co-host here does, but I am a, a tech geek when it comes to the gadgets and the and the devices and the and, and the apps that are going to help make your life uh, better. One of the things that I have struggled with since my 20s is high blood pressure. It's just something that runs in my family. It's something that, uh, you know, it, even, you know, diet and exercise and all of those things really don't do a whole lot to help control it. Um, so it's just something I've always had to keep a close eye on. And it's something that I've unfortunately had to uh, be on medication for since since my about mid 30s, you know, so I'm coming up on almost 10 years of being on uh, uh, blood pressure uh, medication, which is hypertension is the disorder, the 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 the, na the medical name, but high blood pressure is what everybody knows it by. So 
Biospectacle, the optical revolution in blood pressure management uh, is, uh, ha has introduced an app that will work with your smartphone and your smartphone's camera and fingertips sensor in order to take it, your blood pressure that is as accurate as uh, an actual blood pressure cuff, which everybody knows the old blood pressure cuff that squeezes the arm and that's how you get it. Right. So this is fantastic. They expect to release this app to the public sometime in late first quarter, early second quarter. And you know, that that's a game changer. You know, that, right. that's something for, you know, to be able to keep track of that on the go and have an idea of where you're sitting, you know, it, it just, it's fantastic. I, I saw that and it, it, I, I very happy that, you know, and that, and to Bobby's point, that was one of many, many health focused innovations that right. we, we saw. Um, one of the things that I'm also very, very excited about and we've seen this just blow up during the time of COVID is telemedicine yep. and being able to get, you know, more places, more people with access to uh, telemedicine, especially those who are um, get some kind of government assisted healthcare. So be that Medicare or Medicaid, um, you know, those are people from, you know, Medicaid or people from, you know, lower income households. And then Medicare is, of course, for our elderly. So they might have a harder time getting around. Yeah. So the prevalence of of telemedicine is just it's it's fantastic for people to be able to talk to a real live doctor and, you know, have things diagnosed from the, the safety, security and healthy uh, health of their of their own home. Right. The other thing that um, we were talking about ahead of time, and one of the things that my uh, I have an uncle who has dedicated his career to this, which is bringing mental health care to underserved, predominantly rural areas of uh, the United States and around the world. And you know, there there are so many communities where mental health care is not available. Right. And not every rural area is like where we grew up in Nebraska, where you could drive 20 minutes to Lincoln or an hour and a half to Omaha. Um, or, you know, if you're in, you know, middle of Kansas City, you can drive a couple hours to Kansas City or something like that. You know, there are areas of the country, uh, be they in, you know, far flung areas of of uh, Alaska or Texas, where, you know, th th that that's just not a possibility. And right. one of the things we do know is that mental health care is a huge issue here in the United States of America. So, um, you know, being able to provide that mental health care via telemedicine is is just it's it's I, I hate to keep using the term, but it's a game changer. It, it could right. really change the trajectory of the lives of millions of Americans. So very excited about about that. Well, and it's not because, you know, when it comes to telemedicine, right? So we've worked with several clients ourselves and we've spun up uh, various solutions. But, you know, honestly, it's not because the, you know, the medical doctors or the health professionals didn't want to get to people that are remote in those areas, you know, even in areas with, you know, 10,000, 20,000 population, 
a lot of the times the issues is 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 bandwidth limitation mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so there's been a you know there's been a plethora of platforms that have been out for a while and they they do great with metro areas but in areas where bandwidth is a problem and continues to be a problem and will continue to be a problem these solutions that are coming to the forefront now really require little bandwidth right Mm-hmm. You, you know, before it was, well, if you wanted to do a video conference with somebody um, in an area where the bandwidth wasn't prevalent, there was no, you know, cable, there is no fiber, you had to have 50 megs of internet, you know, now there's there's compression technology that have been developed and kind of, you know, integrated into a lot of these telemedicine platforms where now you don't need 50 megs. You can just have two and a half megs. You can use LTE or 5G or whatever the case. Mm-hmm. So really at the heart of it, you know, a lot of these new tech use little bandwidth in order in order to reach, right? So you can, you know, have that conference now with that, that client or that customer, that patient that's 250 miles away, you know, because, you know, it only requires the two or three megs of internet. And so that's kind of where a lot of this is, is, is being driven is a lot of these platforms don't require the massive bandwidth anymore, which it really extends their reach. And they've brought, you know, low data devices, um, low bandwidth requirement devices for tracking or for conversation and everything. So Really, because the ISPs do a shitty job of solving the bandwidth problem, the technology has been kind of engineered around that issue. So now I think we're going to see a lot more um, platforms that that have a a much longer reach, you know, across the U.S., you know, for some of these um, national companies. And, you know, but obviously the mental health piece, as you stated, has been missing from a lot of these platforms. Mm-hmm. And so now it's going to be great to kind of see, you know, these these bigger platforms integrate the mental health piece and extend their reach to those people that have, you know, not been in the circle for years now. Yeah. So it's important to keep in mind that while Medicaid is a federal program, it is administered like so much of our lives. It is administered by your state. So here in the state of California, Medicaid is known as Medi-Cal. You know, they receive money from the feds and then supplement that money with, you know, our, our, you know, state money and then service those uh, who, who get a, you know, who have a, you know, a low income or whatnot. It also, through Covered California, covers those who may make an income, but not enough, but don't basically don't get income or don't get healthcare provided by their employer. So it gives them government subsidies to be able to uh, pay for their healthcare. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about Obamacare. Thank you, President Obama. <laughs> what they are, what we have just now passed here in California is that so in the in the past your coverage for mental health care was significantly less than what your coverage for physical health care would be here in California the legislature has now passed and Gavin Newsom will be signing a new law stating that uh, anybody who provides care for medical patients and that is 
So Medi-Cal is the, the state program, and then it's at, and then it is provided through your normal uh, healthcare companies: Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, etc. Um, you know, LA Care here in LA. And what they're telling those companies now is that you must cover mental health care at the same level that you cover physical health care. That's nice. fantastic. And the right. other thing that they uh, that I think is a byproduct of COVID is the identification of the large swaths of areas throughout the state that are not covered by internet. Like not even don't even think broadband. Just like you know, they, their their access to internet is mm -hmm. is so low that it's tough to get right. any kind of connection. Now, like Bobby was saying, with the the advent of these platforms needing less bandwidth, that's going to help. But this bill right. also includes increasing bandwidth across the state, especially to those areas that have right. been historically underserved. So, and here's my opinion on, you know, first thing we do with our clients is we always solve the bandwidth problem, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's, that's step number one. The problem with a lot of these states throwing all this money at the, say the traditional cable providers mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. the construction costs continue to skyrocket. There's a ton of build out that needs to happen. It's an extremely very slow process and it costs a shit ton of money. And what these states and I'm an, a huge advocate. So I'll talk with any state representative that's in charge of tech tech decisions is you need to start looking at LTE as your infrastructure. Mm. You, you know, you work with companies like Vertical Bridge that develops and designs the tower, you get with carriers, your Verizons and your T-Mobiles, and you figure out a space. I mean, this is, you know, I'm working on several projects right now where we're doing LTE because these areas would require, say for the home, if, you know, if a home is on an acre of land, you know, the average cost of just construction for that one home can vary from anywhere from $40,000 to $80,000, right? Mm -hmm. Per home, per home. Mm. And the LTE, yes, it's, you know, right now we're backlogged with the FCC and everything. But at the end of the day, we need some land. I've got the tower, you know, the tower uh, companies that design and develop the towers. We've got the direct contacts and connections to all the carriers. Like, for example, Seward, Nebraska, right? I've mm -hmm. been, you know, I've been there. Uh, it was pre-COVID, but everybody complains about the Internet access in Seward and Seward County because you've basically got Windstream. Mm -hmm. And the fastest that they can typically do is 25 megs. Well, then you've got Bluestem, a fiber provider from Lincoln that has been pushing their fiber in the Seward area for years, over committing, under delivering. And again, it's because they are not well-funded and it costs a ton of money to do the construction, lay the fiber and whatnot. We can put up an advanced LTE tower with some land, get everybody. Now, now Luke, 25 megs isn't shit in you know, mm -hmm. today's streaming times. Mm -hmm. We can get the average user in the area and actually cover the county with with one or two towers and get them 600 800 a gig 
to their devices, to their homes for a fraction of what cable or fiber providers are going to charge and cost for construction. So LTE, 5G is coming. Obviously, 5G is not here. We, we've got samples of 5G of what it can do, hitting 25 gigs a second. But at the end of the day, 4G LTE towers can cover pretty much a 20 square mile radius. And with wow. aggregating multiple LTE bands, we can take something that's getting six meg download speeds and boost it to 600, 800, 1200. And it, you know, again, it's a fraction of the time, it's a fraction of the cost. And, you know, but there's so much government money that's going to like the Comcast of the world. And they're getting, you know, it's, it's, it's costing 10 times as much and they're getting very little in return. And, you know, again, even doing it, you know, an area could take years, you know, to get all the digging and the trenching and everything done. And, you know, my focus right now is, is, is really the LTE play. Um, Cause as long as we get a carrier tied to it, I mean, there's, there's no cost like to, to Seward, like we could get Josh on the phone right now. It, you mm -hmm. know, there's no cost to the city of Seward to get this done. And as mm -hmm. a matter of fact, I can, um, set it up so that the city of Seward actually makes money off it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you hit two birds, your, yeah. your, your citizens and the people and the businesses in Seward get extremely high speed internet. And then the city has an opportunity to make revenue off of it. So it's a win-win. Love it. Love it. There is certainly uh, just, again, you know, just swaths of the country, you know, much like Seward, Nebraska, and even more rural than Seward, Nebraska, right, that just right. have, you know, terrible, terrible, you know, access. And people, you know, when you think of much like when people think of New York State, they most likely just think of New York City. Well, outside of New York City is a big damn state that is very rural. Same thing applies here in California. You think of California, you think of its big cities, you think of Hollywood, you think of San Francisco. Well, the rest of California, uh, especially the northern reaches of California, is very rural. Mm -hmm. And the bill that uh, Newsom is going to be signing, you know, it is meant to be a first step towards uh, access for all. And the goal being that every single person in the state of California, no matter if you are sitting in the middle of Hollywood like me, which shockingly does not have that great of internet, right, details, um, or if you're all the way out in Humboldt County on a several hundred acre farm, you should have access to internet and tying it back to health, it should be easy for patients to call, email, or text with providers in real time at any time. Right. So, you know, this is this is how we do it. So, Bobby. Right. And what's the infrastructure's awesome. in place, Luke? You know, these telemedicine companies really can say, hey, they can work with or we can work with the providers and say, hey, we're going to guarantee bandwidth to, to your customers. It's going to cost X. And so whether it's one person or it's 300 people at a time, 
you know, there's, you know, there's bandwidth there. There's going to be that communication, that dialogue that's going to happen. And, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, the cable companies have been overselling their circuits for years and COVID really exposed them. Definitely did. Yeah. So right now, even if you've got a gig circuit from, say, a Comcast, which is what we've got, and you do speed tests, you know, four in the morning, you're going to be at 600, 800 meg. Uh, but at, at peak times, there's been times where I've done speed tests and I'm down to 35 meg yet. I'm paying for a gig mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, there's so much, uh, you know, with the traffic, there's no QOS on, on the circuit. So you're not getting priority over anything. Um, you know, whereas like the Facebooks of the world and the Twitters of the world are paying those ISPs for pri- you know, for priority traffic. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the, te- you know, telemedicine we can work with the ISPs, you know, the LTE carriers and say, Hey, you know, we want prior, you know, priority on your networks for these use cases and telemedicine obviously would be a huge one, you know, and there's some carriers that already kind of do that, but then, you know, you lock in those agreements and then be, you know, the bandwidth problem gets solved and it gets solved rather quickly. And then you move on to, you know, a, adding additional applications or additional services to your platform because you've solved that bandwidth problem. But until you solve that problem, you're not going to serve your community. That's right. That's right. So speaking of uh, good things that are in, in the making uh, for, uh, for the future, uh, thought we would talk about a little bit of uh, some, some good stuff some uh, some good plans before we get into some disgusting shit. Uh, but <laughs> tomorrow at noon, oh, sweet God, we will finally have a new president of the United States. And Joe is not messing around. He is planning a 10-day blitz of executive action on what he is calling the four crises facing the country. country. COVID-19, the economy, racial injustice, and climate change. On day one, tomorrow afternoon, as soon as he is done taking the oath and giving his comments, his remarks, he will issue executive orders reversing the travel ban that Donald Trump put in place against mostly Muslim-majority countries. He will also start a 100 day of masking, requiring masks to be worn on all federal properties inside and out around and during interstate travel. He will also be extending the federal eviction and foreclosure moratorium, allowing more Americans to more time to stay in their homes while they rebuild after the carnage that COVID has laid to our country. Right. And then there was also one about uh, extending uh, student loan repayment schedule as well. Yeah. Yeah. On day two, on yeah. Thursday, he plans to direct <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. I was ahead. Okay. <laughs> he plans to direct his cabinet to take immediate action to uh, deliver economic relief to working families bearing the brunt the uh, loan repayment moratorium and trying to find any way 
that his agencies can get money and relief out to the American uh, people without having to go through Congress. Now, this won't necessarily mean that $2,000 check, but it's coming. It's coming, but it will mean different agencies looking at different uh, different authorities that they oversee that can uh, have a re relaxation of rules and regulations to make life a bit easier for struggling businesses and um, and 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 uh, households. And then uh, ongoing, Biden is planning on taking a significant. Uh, our he will take significant early actions to advance equity and support of communities of color and underserved communities, including potentially using executive action to make the first two years of community college free. Uh, he also plans to restore the dignity to our immigration system, immediately reversing our ban on asylum seeking, and of course, immediately ending family separation at the border, which believe it or not, Bobby, that story sadly enough just kind of went away. Unfortunately, the policy never went away and right. remains in place to this day. Right. So, so yeah, so big, big action. And then one of my favorites, because this has been a pet peeve of uh, mine and, you know, my, my aunt and uncle and cousins and whatnot, I have, I have, and, you know, I mentioned my uncle who works with rural communities. He also does a lot of work on uh, indigenous uh, land, uh, lands of indigenous peoples, or you may know them as reservations. Uh, Biden plans to use his executive authority to immediately re uh, reject the permit for the building of the Keystone XL pipeline, therefore essentially killing that project once and, and for all. Got it. So, Got it. Yeah. He's yeah. very busy, very um, you know, I think once he handpicked his his people, obviously that a lot of them need to go through the Senate uh for confirmation, but I think they've been really proactive, um, you know, methodical, thinking things through digging into what needs to be done first you know obviously with the trump trial that's going to be taking place yep, yep you know he's already come out publicly and said yeah, he fully expects his his senate and the senate the congress to basically walk and chew gum at the same <laughs> yes. time that and old nugget that yes. was, yeah i thought that was pretty you know pretty awesome yeah and 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 again people i cannot stress enough the importance of winning those runoffs in Georgia because of that Chuck Schumer will control the Senate and because Chuck Schumer can control, will be controlling the Senate. We will be able to do both things at the same time right. because you know that fucker McConnell would have been like, well, we got to have a trial. So you're going to have to wait on your appointees. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, McConnell. Enjoy sitting on the sideline for the next two years. And by the way, and we'll get into this in a future pod, the map, the Senate map for 2022 looks 
hella good for the Democrats, but we'll save that for another, nice. another time. Yeah, they are trying. So the Senate got back to work yesterday. Uh, yesterday and today, they are holding confirmation hearings for our Secretary of Defense, our Secretary of Homeland Security, our Secretary of the Treasury uh, to be followed up tomorrow with uh, the rest of the national security team and our Secretary of State. So, you know, he's not going to have his cabinet in place on day one, as is the tradition in this country. But because of the way everything rolled out and Mitch McConnell futzing around for as long as he did, and because we had to wait on these Georges, these runoffs, uh, we are a little delayed, but the Senate is back to work. And it looks like he at least should have his core team in place, uh, you know, not on day one necessarily, but within the f first uh, 48 hours. <clears throat> if I can just quickly... You know, this announcement was made just yesterday, I believe, and uh, it's in uh, this morning's, <coughs> excuse me, Washington Post. I am thrilled to announce, if you have not seen, that uh, Biden has selected transgender doctor Rachel Levine as the secretary, uh, assistant secretary of health and human services. Very cool. Uh, I have not heard that one. Rachel Levine has risen to national prominence because of her masterful COVID-19 briefings. Uh, she is the Director of Health and Human Services for the state of Pennsylvania. And <clears throat> unfortunately, as a transgendered woman, has faced just the most disgusting comments and attacks on her that you know people don't like the mask mandates don't like the stay at home orders that she's out there promoting and so they attack her not for her policy stance but because she's a transgender woman it's gotcha. just you know so i am she is an extraordinarily extraordinarily gifted leader uh, her background is in pediatrics she has years of experience in public health and, uh, you know, I, I cannot be I, this this one really it's really maybe even more so for me than than uh, Pete being named to uh, transportation, uh, because this is just a truly talented uh, servant of the people that is being elevated uh, and rightfully so. And so I'm just I'm, I was thrilled to see that pick. So Biden just continues to put together an all-star administration and I am I feel very good about the hands that our country will be in uh in just 24 hours from now right and then when do we get started with the confirmation hearings was that yeah, today? So so the confirmation hearings are already underway, and right. we should have uh, votes on those conf on on uh, the. Uh, it looks like the obviously the national security team is first, uh, state is next, and we should have uh, votes on those starting, if not by Friday, early next week. Gotcha. So uh, he will have his cabinet in place. You know, relative. Thank again. Thank God we won Georgia because of that. His cabinet pick should sail right through. And for what it's worth, traditionally, cabinet cabinet confirmations are traditionally a bipartisan, you know, thing. 
we, we you know the senators say that presidents should be allowed to have their team their people uh and it and it used to not be as as you know political of a process as it has become thankfully because chuck schumer is in charge not mitch mcconnell uh it should be less political but it is sad to know that at least on a couple of these picks Kamala probably will have to vote or cast her uh, tiebreaker vote uh, because Republicans, just to just to prove a point, will pick a couple of these, uh, you know, uh, to to say that you know for whatever reason they don't want them, including I forget her name, but oh damn, uh, she's on the national security team that they don't like how she she has tweeted some nasty things. Uh, about elected representatives, and so they don't like her. Huh. Mm -hmm. I guess you have to be a Republican uh, to be able to tweet nasty things, and the Republicans are okay with it. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sitting here listening, Luke, and might I say how poetic it was to hear you say, fuck you, Mitch McConnell, so eloquently. It was, it was <laughs> so poetic. <laughs> Loved it. You know, uh, it is, he just is, you know, he is just the epitome of the old school two-faced politician uh, that'll shake your hand and say, you know, we're going to kumbaya, have, have cooperation. And the second you're not looking, he will slide that knife right in between those shoulder blades. So, right. right. Initially yeah. he said, yep, he's for the, you know, for impeachment. And then it was, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And then it was, well, we're not going to have a trial until after, you know, Biden's inauguration. Yeah. And I mean, we're still waiting actually on Pelosi to take those article, that article of impeachment over to the Senate. Yeah, uh, I am sure that will happen. I think she's just waiting for the inauguration to happen. So it right. doesn't kind of step on that. Um Oh, by the way, for his part, Trump, of course, is trying to step on the inauguration by having a uh, rally at Andrews Air Force Base tomorrow morning. So instead of attending the inauguration, which fine in this particular case, good riddance, uh, mm -hmm. he's having a big old military uh, send off where he has invited followers. Get this. Get this. Invited followers. And on the invitation that says, it says that the holder of this invitation is admitted to this presidential send-off plus five guests of their choosing. Right. So he, right up to the very end, it's about crowd size. And uh, yeah, I, I just, that's all I have to say about that. The, Another super spreader. The, the, um, you know, right up until Joe Biden takes the oath of office, he is the commander in chief. So the military members that are there giving him his 21 gun salute, as apparently he's requested, uh, they don't have a choice in the matter. He's still the commander in chief. They still have to do what he says. And get this, if you, if you want to just understand how petty this man is, it is, it is fucking tradition that Right. The, the outgoing president stays for the inauguration, meaning that when the, once that oath of office is taken, he is no longer the president. The new president is the president. And a polite request 
to use Air Force One to fly wherever they're flying is made. Barack Obama made the request to uh, Trump. Bush made the request to Obama and backwards and so on and so forth. Because Trump is so petty that he refuses to request anything from Joe Biden, he will be aboard Air Force One and will be airborne headed towards Florida, of course, before Joe Biden is actually sworn in. Mm. It, it is, it's just the, the definition of being the petty little sniveling child that the man is. Yeah. Right. Fuck you, Trump. Have fun down in Florida and but until you're extradited up to New York City. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Next up, Luke, uh, you sent me a link yesterday about a topic we wanted to discuss. And you know, after reading it, I'm at a loss for words when it comes to you know the PPP loans for small yeah. business and the yeah. heading here at the Washington Post. The Trump administration bailed out prominent anti-vaccine groups during a pandemic. Five groups received more than 850000 in PP loans to help small business through the pandemic. Yeah. So what the fuck? Yeah, this is the what the fuck moment of uh, today's podcast for sure. So remember, the Paycheck Protection Program was put in place in order to help small businesses stay afloat during the pandemic. So we said, okay, go ahead, close up shop, close your doors, you know, stop, you know, basically give up your revenue for this amount of time so we can get everybody to stay at home, but you're good because we're going, you're going to be able to apply for this loan. And as long as you show that you're still paying your employees, uh, these loans will ultimately be forgiven and you never have to pay them back. It has now come to light that several, several prominent anti-vaccine organizations, these are not businesses, these are, are organizations that uh, basically exist to spread lies and conspiracy. And somehow, because they are they have the right, you know, the, 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 the right, you know, registration with the uh, Small Business Administration, they were able to apply for and get this money. So these people, <clears throat> these liars, bold-faced liars, who spend their, their entire point of existence is to get people to not vaccinate their children, to not take the COVID vaccine, okay? Mm -hmm. These are the real Jenny McCarthy idiots of the world, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they, who undoubtedly have, have assisted the spread of not only this virus, but have been instrumental in, oh, I don't know, new infections of, of smallpox and the measles coming back to the United States for the first time in decades. Right. These organizations got money that was earmarked to help businesses close down, therefore keeping people safe and healthy from the virus. It is the most just hypocritical, disgusting use of government money. And it's just, it's, it is breathtaking, but in the age of Trump, 
I, I guess you can't be surprised. I mean, I'm pissed off as hell, but right. uh, you know, uh, this is to me, this is even worse than what, you know, like uh, I guess Ruth's Chris and some other TGI Fridays and whatnot originally got some of these loans and for the most part have given that money all back. Uh, you know, these folks just, you know, re fucking ridiculous. You know, you get, uh, you know, you get into the, you know, deep into the article and it talks about a, a relatively small loan, $72,000. That that's a decent ch check of a chunk of money right. went to the 10 penny organization. Okay. So this is an organization that promotes alternative health. Okay. Alternative health. So, you know, I, Please don't come at me. All right. All there. Yes, I'm all for, you know, eating healthy and vitamins and herbs and all that stuff with the help of traditional medicine. Tenpenny promotes that this can be used as an alternative for mm -hmm. vaccinations and, and whatnot. This group is so controversial that they were banned from Facebook for spreading misinformation and we give them money and we <laughs> give them money. We give them money. I, I mean, it is just, uh, uh, it's ridiculous. Another, a very large loan of 335,000 went to Mercola, uh, an organization that has been linked to uh, large events that have been considered super spreaders. Okay. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's, it's breathtaking. They're taking the money that's meant to help keep us safe. And then having, you know, these events, um, that are largely advertised on Facebook and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And these events turn into super spreaders and people get sick because of it. It's, I, it's, it is, it is definitely truly the, what the fuck uh, moment of the day, right. Uh, right behind it are these organizations, and this is disgusting, but also a what the fuck. These fucking organizations, like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, and the Proud Boys, using Christian fundraising sites in order to make to in order to fund their trips. Yep. In particular, there is a site called a place called Hope, which again, it's meant to be a Christian fundraising site for those who have either been persecuted because of their religion or Christian entities that need to hold um, that need to hold fundraisers. Well, these folks are going on there and just one uh, uh, with the Give, Send, Go website, givesendgo.com. Uh, this is a different one. Uh, a, a niche Christian fundraising website that uh, raised more than $113,000 for the head of the Proud Boys who was arrested in Washington, D.C. and has been indicted for uh, being one of the uh, planners of the uh, uh, the insurrection on the 6th. Right. So what, right. you know, these platforms are in place, right? So it's easy for these guys to give these guys a revenue share. So out of that hundred and some thousand, you know, these guys benefited back to the platform or to the Christian group, a percentage of that. 
and it was easy money for, you know, for both sides. And, but, mm -hmm. you know, understanding and knowing who the proud boys are and these other, you know, white nationalist groups, um, you know, is really questions the whole Christian uh, notion or brand yeah. and yep. it, you know, come down to money. So, yeah. And they get away with it because they say, right, they they claim to be Christians and they claim to be claim that they're being persecuted uh, for their beliefs. Now, I don't believe going on this site and here's a woman that posted uh, funds are tight. I'm behind on bills, but I drove uh, straight through the night to the rally, uh, had no hotel, nowhere to sleep uh, by giving you would allow me to sleep. Uh, and and have a safe night's drive or a safe drive home the next day. Uh, we're going to make America great again. And lo and behold, she she was able to raise about four hundred dollars in less than twenty four hours to get her a hotel room for the night, uh, so she could safely drive home after storming the capital of the United States. Right, right. Well, you know, the funding piece adds to what we've been saying or what. You know, everybody's been saying is that, you know, the, you know, the riots that happened on the sixth, you know, the people that have been, you know, picked out and Hey, that's the CEO of a fortune 500 company. That's a doctor. That's a, you know, these are well-educated. Now I'm not saying all of them are, cause obviously they're not, <laughs> but there's well-educated people, well-financed there's, you know, a lot of members that, that are making, you know, a good income. And, you know, so, you know, the notion of, well, you know, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the notion of Trump supporters being uneducated, no job, overweight, you know, you know, the demographics are, are covered from left to right, top to bottom. You know, there was Harvard graduates, there's Stanford graduates, MIT graduates were part of the riots. And, you know, which makes this whole situation that more scarier is that we've got extremely well-supported and educated people that believe the conspiracy theories are real. You know, I personally believe it's embarrassing, you know, when QAnon says, well, on January 13th, so, you know, this is going to happen and then it doesn't happen and then they have to go and explain why it didn't happen and then january 27th this is going to happen then they get everybody all riled up and you know from from the outside looking in obviously from our perspective luke we don't understand why people are believing this i mean they've interviewed QAnon people yeah we know it's not true but we still believe it we know that you don't believe it but we believe it so, you know, I don't know, honestly, it's going to take, you know, a long time, you know, where does Biden and, and Kamala start with healing, you know, where does the national security team start? I mean, these, these groups need to be, you know, condemned and labeled as domestic terrorists. And yes. currently we don't have any of those policies in place. You know, where do you think we need to start with labeling the groups for what they are and, you know, at the same time, start healing? Well, first and foremost, we need to look at those domestic terrorism laws 
from the from the ground up because as it is even if you're designated as having you know committed an act of domestic terrorism the penalties are far less severe than if you are say a uh, you know, a Saudi uh, national that comes over and attacks the United States. You know, foreign nationals uh, are that are deemed terrorists are subject to far, far harsher penalties. Like, I don't know, having to go to prison in Gitmo, you know? Right. Uh, domestic terrorists, uh, the worst that they would get, like Timothy McVeigh sent out to Supermax out there. I think it was in Colorado, right? Yeah. Uh, until his, uh, until his, um, I, I, I believe he was uh, executed, but um, we need to look at, <clears throat> you know, and he did serious damage. Obviously that's the Oklahoma city bomber. Several people died. Um, that's a serious example. But what about this guy here in Nashville, the Christmas day bombing, right? No one died, but there was massive, massive damage done to the downtown, uh, 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 Nashville area. Mm -hmm. And apparently the thing that really gets you going is apparently his neighbors had tipped off law enforcement about odd packages and items and things coming into the house that seemed like he was up to something, mm -hmm. right? They basically went over, did a knock and talk, you know, knocked on the door, guy seemed fine, turned around, walked away. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in his backyard, he's assembling this massive bomb um, you know, to, to take out and unleash on, uh, on Nashville. So where is, first of all, the immediate designation of that, of that man as a domestic terrorist? And why is he treated any better than if somebody came here from overseas and committed mm -hmm. that exact same crime? Right. Yeah, it, it's there's a huge disconnect there, and we have to get back to, you know, the FBI used to have an entire uh, an entire group that was dedicated towards the, you know, tracking and investigation of domestic terrorists. Shocker of shockers, you know, Donald Trump had that group dismantled. Uh, we need to first and foremost get that set back up immediately because even though we have to have to have to remember and stay vigilant, even though Trump is not going to be president, Trumpism is alive and well in the United States of America right now and will not be going away anytime soon. Right. So, you know, it is imperative for us to keep track of these right-wing, uh, you know, extremist organizations and call them what they are, domestic terrorists. And then we can start looking at the penalties when they, you know, do commit the the crimes that they, they have committed. Right. Hey, real, real quick, Bobby, I wanted to ask you on this. So the end of that article about the give, send, go, um, after holding fundraisers for, or uh, hosting fundraisers for, uh, Derek Chauvin, the police officer who killed George F Floyd, mm -hmm. and they held another one for Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old uh, charged with killing two men during the uh, protest in Kenosha. Right, with uh, an AR-15 of... Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was enough for PayPal. PayPal said, yep, yep, no, we're done here. We're not going to process payments for you any longer. But wouldn't you know it, they found a new processor almost immediately, uh, Stripe is now their yeah. their processor and yeah. continues to be so and shocker of shocker 
uh, were unavailable when reached, uh, when attempted to be reached for comment. Right. Yeah. Because you know, I, I know. come up, you know, they come up quickly and they're, you know, they're growing fast and they're integrated with like uh, online platforms like Shopify and, you know, stuff like that. And there's a lot of retailers that use them. Um, I'm going to be shocked if a lot of the e-commerce business owners um, have a lot of pushback. I, you know, I've, I've heard some, but I don't know what's actually getting filtered directly to Stripe. So I'm not sure exactly how long they will be the preferred carrier, but you know, their biggest competitor obviously is PayPal. So they may, you know, kind of like, um, Mark Zuckerberg's moral compass, uh, <laughs> it, it may, you know, fall off the earth and they may continue doing it, but, uh, you know, the business owners that currently use them instead of PayPal may have something else, you know, have a different thought process on that. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm not surprised uh, that Stripe stepped up. Uh, there's probably other platforms that would have done the same thing initially until the blowback comes. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So to uh, not not quite to my high note here, but I do want to throw some some happy news at you hot and quick here. Okay. So we've got two vaccines that are nearing the finish line uh, with their trials. Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca uh, appear to be nearing uh, the place where they can also submit for emergency authorization. And the FDA is saying that if and when these vaccines are approved, we should finally reach the tipping point where there is more supply than there is demand, meaning that we will have with the Pfizer uh, and the uh, Moderna, the Johnson Johnson and the AstraZeneca vaccines all available. We should be sometime in early spring uh, have more than enough vaccines to vaccinate every single American who wants them. And that's the next challenge is getting every single American to take it. So yeah, some very, any more timelines, right? I mean, we were going to have 20 million inoculated by the end of December, 50 million by the end of January, by the end of this month, we're at like 16 something. Yeah. So, you know, pumping more, you know, vaccines into the market obviously is going to help. But there mm -hmm. again, it's going to be about manufacturing and distribution. So. Distribution, distribution, distribution. Yeah. Fauci was interviewed over the weekend, you know, because, uh, uh, oh, God, how do, how do I leave this out? Uh, Biden has committed and continues to be committed to 100 million vaccinations in, 100, in his first 100 days. So that would be that would bring us through the beginning of spring. And Fauci said, as long as these authorizations go through as planned, that is doable as long as the, the distribution infrastructure works the way it is supposed to work. So good God, fingers crossed. Real quick, our don't fuck with her, fellas. Oh, no, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Roberta Kaplan, Roberta Kaplan. If you know that name, it's because she is the lawyer who argued the United States v. Windsor. Okay. She is the lawyer that argued that case in front of the Supreme Court, in which the Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, therefore, federally 
legalizing same-sex marriage. I had the grand, grand uh, opportunity, pleasure of meeting her uh, once upon a time at an educational conference that I was at. She's known as Robbie by her friends and is just a wonderful, wonderful human being. She is one of those top flight lawyers that came out of Columbia, um, that came out of Harvard and then Columbia Law that could have gone to any of the, uh, the you know, the top flight uh, law firms in uh, New York or Boston or anywhere she wanted, but she decided that she wanted to fight for the rights of the American people. And that is what she has uh, built her career on. Uh, so why do I mention her today? Well, she also is the mayor, is the lawyer for, do you remember the name E. Jean Carroll? E. Jean Carroll is the latest woman to accuse Donald Trump of sexual harassment and rape. Uh, and then uh, most recently has filed a defamation case against Donald Trump, who claims that she is completely lying and has defamed her character. Okay. And she also, and she also represents Mary Trump, who uh, is arguing that Trump has deprived her and her siblings of millions of dollars worth of inheritance money. Uh, and then... <laughs> There's a, a, a couple more cases that uh, she is helming uh, in terms, um, it, it, you know, about uh, that Donald Trump is the target. So right. in the coming, in the coming, let's see here, um, uh, you know, in the coming months, post, post uh, protection of the presidency, Donald Trump will have to start uh, defending himself in these cases. And uh, Ms. Kaplan has made it a point to say that she plans to depose Donald Trump in open court, or at least attempt to do so in every single one of these cases, which means that we will get to see Donald Trump go on the stand under oath, being questioned by the woman who won the Windsor case at the Supreme Court. Right. So right. Roberta, Roberta Kaplan. Remember that name, Bobby. Got it. Got it. You know, everybody keeps saying, well, what's Trump going to do after he's out of office and he's going to start this media company and compete with Fox News and all this shit? You know, he's going to be so tied up with lawsuits, with, you know, impeachment trial and, you know, all this stuff with New York. I mean, He's not gonna have any time to start a media company. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the former president is going to be very busy uh, between the suits coming at him, his companies. Keep in mind that he is billions of dollars in debt yep. and uh, is effectively in default on the majority of those loans. And remember, it's pretty widely believed that he owes this money to, oh, I don't know, the likes of uh, uh, MBS in Saudi Arabia and uh, perhaps some oligarchs in Russia. Yeah. You know, probably people that you don't want to owe large amounts of money to. Right. So, you know, there's that. Um, and then 
there's also the shit storm that his that 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 his uh, children are going to be uh, having to deal with uh, now that uh, you know some light will be shed on the shenanigans that they were up to over the past four years while Daddy Dearest was pretending to play president. So right. Right. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And I and, and keep in mind also that Fox News is starting to tiptoe away from Donald Trump. Uh, just to you know, go back and put a quick button on the not in the inauguration. Yay, the uh, <laughs> impeachment. Okay, like you said, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, he is. He 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 first said he was happy about impeachment. Now he's saying he needs to look at the facts. But he has never once said that he absolutely will not vote against it. Right. And sources close to him say that there are high level talks going on amongst GOP leadership that this might be their opportunity to throw him overboard, especially in light of all of the legal trouble that he is undoubtedly facing. Mm -hmm. This might be the opportunity to go ahead and say, adios Donald, the, the Republican party is moving on without you. Now that would take balls that I don't know that Mitch McConnell has. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he certainly doesn't have the spine for it. I mean, have you seen the man's neck? But uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do know this, that Mitch McConnell has a pretty solid grip on his caucus. And if he says, if he says, I'm voting for impeachment, we very well could get to that number, which is a lot. It's 17. We would right. need 17 GOP uh, uh, votes for impeachment. Five of them, Markowski, Sass, um, uh, Collins, Toomey. Oh, and I'm, uh, oh, and uh, well, of course, Romney. Uh, so Romney. we have five that seem like they're leaning that way. Uh, could... Mitch McConnell be the sixth and bring uh, 11 of his colleagues with him. We right. shall see. And I think a lot of it's going to have to do with how they frame everything, right? Well, it doesn't help that, uh, you know, the New Yorker just unleashed a trove of evidence. You know, we, we haven't even talked about this today because I just couldn't stomach the stupidity. Never in the history have cr of crime have the criminals documented their crime so so in such detail right. i mean <laughs> the i i it's disgusting but i laugh because it is they I literally you hear them saying donald trump sent us right. you can't stop us because we are here in the name of donald trump he told us to come here right. you hear another guy saying i think ted cruz would ted be cruz, okay yeah. with that so yeah let's do that you know yeah. like it's breathtaking. What did these motherfuckers think that they like? Did they think they I mean, obviously, they thought they were going to get away with this. They thought that they were going to get away with this. And anybody out there that thinks and maybe I, I might be wrong. I have been before. But if anybody thinks that Donald Trump is going to stick his neck out at this moment and give some kind of blanket pardon to the insurrectionists. Uh, no, Donald Trump is far too selfish of a human being for that to ever happen. <laughs> Oh, so uh, I think the the evidence at the trial, we're, we're seeing it on the news all day, every day. And it was produced and published by his loyal supporters. Right. So I don't, yep. I don't, that's all. I, that's that. So, you know, it's hard to have a high note 
when tomorrow is going to be such a high note, but I do have one. Boom. <laughs> Bobby, did you ever think that a Doritos ad could make you cry? Honestly, no. <laughs> I didn't think so either. Uh, but over the butt, uh, and I've already posted this online. Um, I'll post it again because it's worth a watch. Even if you don't speak Spanish, uh, you know what's going on. You can also throw on the, uh, you know, you can you can go ahead and throw on the subtitles if you'd like. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, my Spanish is, is okay. Um, but it definitely, you know what's going on. So over the holidays, Doritos Mexico released a two-minute commercial called El Mejor Regalo, which means the best gift. It is based on a true story and has blown up the internet, getting more than 14 million views on YouTube. It is the touching story, real-life story, of a father's poignant reaction when his son comes out to him as gay. And I bring it up today again because the meaning, the meaning, the meaning of the ad is really just applicable for, for a lot of things right now. And that is the best gift is accepting everyone the way they are. You've been listening to Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. Politics, tech, entertainment, global headlines, real and raw. Real and raw. Finally, a podcast with real talk and no bullshit. We hope you enjoyed the show, but if we pissed you off, that's okay too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobby and Luke. On Instagram at Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. And on LinkedIn at Unfiltered dash with dash Bobby dash and dash Luke.